0: Hi everyone, this is Ben Guest, and this is Ben Bo's Podcast. Today I have an interview with Jerry Mitchell. Jerry is an investigative reporter based in Jackson, Mississippi, and he investigates cold case murders from the civil rights era. He is a fantastic person. I've known him for more than a decade, and as I say in the interview, he's one of my heroes. He's written a book called Race Against Time, a reporter reopens the unsolved murder cases of the civil rights era, and I cannot recommend that book highly enough Here's my conversation with Jerry Mitchell. Enjoy. I have very few heroes in life. You're one of my heroes, um, and you know I consider you a friend. But we don't know each other well. I, you know, you you might be a, a a crappy person. You know, outside of my experience with you, although I highly I might. am I am. I just didn't know <laughs> but um, Jerry Mitchell is just one of the true treasures that we have um, in in the U.S. today, and his work is based around cold cases, specifically murders of the civil rights era uh, in the Deep South. Um, I'm not religious, but I know you are. If that's not the Lord's work, I, I don't know what else is. Um, and we're talking, we were just talking off air, and I just hit record because Jerry published a great book last year called Race Against Time A Reporter Reopens the Unsolved Murder Cases of the Civil Rights Era. Obviously, I cannot recommend this book highly enough Um, if you don't believe me you should believe John Grisham or Eric Larson or Taylor Branch or you know any of the the dozens of acclaimed reviews that you've gotten for your book Um, so welcome to the podcast and actually we were just talking about publishing the book yeah and and you said the book when you turned it in it was twice the size the manuscript yeah it was
1: It's hard for people to believe, you know, I'm sure, but while each one of these cases, I've got four cases in the book, each one of these cases could have easily been a book unto itself. And so I felt like I was already being, you know, as brief as I could be, you know, with some of these cases. But I mean, I wrote, uh, I wrote twice as much. And when I turned it in, it was like, pretty close to 200,000 words. I mean, and this was a draft, a rough draft, okay? And it was a first draft, rough draft. I wasn't trying to necessarily polish everything, just, just get it down, like a, like a journalist, get it down and then you edit it. And uh, my editor was like, this is, this is way too long. You're gonna have to cut it down. So I said, so what does it need to be? And he goes, Hundred twenty five thousand. I'm like I'm. A, I'm at two hundred thousand. I have to get it down to hundred. So I always got to cut it in half, right? And uh, so I got it down to hundred thirty five. And I said, "Your turn." <laughs> so that's what we did, and went back and forth. John Cox, the great editor, uh, uh, there at Simon Schuster, and and so John did that and got it down and. And also help me shape it more into a book. I mean, I, I, I admit it, I'm, you know, worked for newspapers, mainly for the Clarion Ledger for many, many years, and over three decades. And so, and other newspapers before that. So, I mean, that's in my blood. I mean, you know, I, I bleed ink, you know. So it's, you know, I, I, that's the way I am and, and the way I write and all those things. And it's hard to get away from that. So, That's kind of the way we worked and went back and forth. We just kind of traded it back and forth, and and the final version of it I think is like hundred and eight thousand or something like that, some somewhere in that neighborhood. So, there's there's, there's ninety two
0: thousand words of of part two out there.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. I I've got it. I got it. You know, I don't know what I'll ever do with all of it, but anyway, yeah. in, in the editing process, in the book editing process for a book sure. you've written,
0: what what type of feedback is helpful for you?
1: Oh, in writing? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think you always want to start with more general, you know, you kind of want to start way out and then move in, you know, like you don't want line editing to start with. I mean, that, that, that kind of defeats the purpose because... You, it may not even make the book, you know what I mean? So you really want to think more in general of shape, and, and, you know each, and then each chapter kind of has its own feel as well. At least that's the way I think of it. And that's the way I wrote my book. I kind of wrote these, I wrote the book that I like to read, which is these kind of short, quick chapters, uh, kind of fast paced. I've always loved, have uh, loved reading those books that you can't put down and so i tried to write one i hopefully succeeded in that i know i got a number of notes from people that said your book i i i couldn't put your book down i was reading it at three or four o'clock you kept me up all night reading or whatever it was so i'm like okay yeah great yeah. mission
0: accomplished mission accomplished so that unput down ability or that i just yeah, yeah. i, I got to read one one next chapter one exactly. next paragraph I mean, that's
1: what you want that's what, what you are want.
0: the keys to, to that how do you how do you that, that.
1: Mm-hmm. well I, you know i'm far from any expert but i'll just talk about how i did it uh, craft wise. i mean i always think you what you want to do with each chapter you either want to propel it forward or you you want to have you, you know the, the hanging you want to leave them hanging on something that maybe they don't what's gonna happen next you know like and and so inevitably a really good way to end the chapter which sounds kind of crazy is uh a setback you know it's like oh wow no, uh, you know it looks like it's you know it's falling apart nothing's gonna you know what i mean so it really a lot of times what i try to do is end it not on a happy note at all the other uh, the opposite you know like you would end instead of ending if you're kind of figuring out what where to end the chapter you end it on a point where you well, well then how does it you know wait a minute everything's falling apart what happened so you have to read on and, and um that's kind of the way at least that i did it i you know again i'm I'm new to this book thing, but anyway, it's uh, that's well, the way you, I did.
0: You, 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 new to the book thing, but you, an old hand at the writing thing. You're a Oh, I know writer. how to. Yeah, I've been writing a yeah. long time. So, yeah. Yeah. um, so wrote down a couple questions, but we'll just kind of you know go wherever the conversation takes us. And you, you've done a number of interviews and podcasts and so forth. We've always been so gracious with your time. So I, I'm going to maybe try to ask some questions that people can't easily find elsewhere. you know, the general, you know, what motivates you and your background and all that, that's uh, people can find that elsewhere. Um, So we met, I think originally I interviewed you for a film, a documentary I was making called the South will rise again. And then for a couple of years uh, each year, I'd bring my interns, my interns down to Jackson and you'd meet with them. And that was always a highlight. In fact, one of them um, attended your book signing in New York. Which oh, really? Is where I am now, I think you were in Columbia, right? I'm just down the down the street from Columbia. Right well, now. I
1: yeah, I've been to Columbia for the book signing. I was actually at the Brooklyn Historical Right. Society. That's right. I think, uh, you, you know. know, I can't remember if I had, I had two gigs there. One, one was there and the other one was, Yeah, I'll, I'll forget now. It was uh, college. So right. I but
0: anyway you've always been so gracious with your time even though a you're really busy and b your work is important so i was wondering if you could just talk about that why why what what's the why is why is that so important to you
1: well I, as i kind of say in the new afterward, um you know for the paperback i mean this is what i sense, and we see this happening you kind of think all this stuff people may think my book is it's just about the past but it's really about what's happening now too uh, in a lot of ways uh, you know because history keeps repeating itself because we don't know our history and um, we don't learn it we don't I mean they don't you know what does the civil rights movement these days get taught as uh rosa park sat down martin luther king stood up everybody got their rights to the you know <laughs> that's, that's the civil rights movement and of course that overlooks um you know so many important um you know people and courageous people you talk about courageous people i mean uh you know meg Revers, i i you know and i i, I do this and then you, you know this i post every day on facebook and and twitter kind of today in civil rights history so like today is a great example of one opposed post about ida b wells today's the anniversary of ida b wells refusing like we think people think rosa parks was the first woman who refused to give up her seat it's like no Oh, she wasn't even the first woman in Montgomery. She was the fifth, you know, who got arrested for that. So a lot of people don't realize. And that and the four women who did it before her were part of a very important uh were in part of the lawsuit that resulted in the desegregation of the buses. So even though Rosa Parks kind of gets all the credit, these other four women, if it hadn't been for them, there wouldn't have been the lawsuit, they wouldn't, uh, that victory at Montgomery bus boycott victory wouldn't happened. so that it's important to but back to ida b wells so today ida b wells she refuses to give up her seat on train like he wanted to put him in the you know hey you're in the whites only train you know car what are you doing here and conductor tries to grab her, move her and i like what she, she wrote i fastened my teeth into the back of his hand <laughs> i love that <laughs> and uh and she actually sued and won initially, only to have the Tennessee Supreme Court reverse it. But uh, God bless her. Uh, one of my heroes, for sure, Ida B. Wells, who was a, a great crusading journalist who wrote about, and that's what I really think journalism should be about, just exposing all these things that are going on that maybe people don't know about or want to ignore. And she exposed all those lynchings of African Americans that were taking place. And just nothing being done about it. And uh, but it didn't stop her from continuing to do, you know, what she was doing. I mean, she just, you know, she was very courageous, you know. And there's a couple of different directions.
0: So sure. I worked I worked at the University of Mississippi during the time when they were when they commissioned the civil rights memorial.
1: That was kind um, of interesting. Thing. That's an interesting discussion, isn't it? Because it it kind 100%. of evolved. It kind of evolved a little bit.
0: Yeah, I don't even know if
1: "evolved" is the right word. I think I think they well, got, to got, got 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 uh, taken down. Right. <laughs> that original right. idea to, the original idea got scrapped. So
0: I, I think one of the things that you and I both feel strongly about is, like you just said, the civil rights movement is not Rosa Parks sitting down, Martin Luther exactly. King standing up. It's there's a great book called Ordinary People. It's about exactly. ordinary people, the work of ordinary, everyday people exactly. um, exhibiting courage to make life better for their fellow. Exactly. Man.
1: exactly.
0: And so the original commission for the the civil rights monument at the University of Mississippi was uh, a just a more amorphous monument that didn't celebrate any one individual correct but but was about the idea of confronting fear the fear that people felt um Mm -hmm. you know trying to enroll at the university of mississippi the fear black people felt uh the courage so on and so forth and i think there's this reductivism that happens in america in general and specifically with the civil rights movement that is at 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 best, benignly harmful. Not, but that's that's a contradiction in terms. Is um, unconsciously harmful, and at worst, is intentional. In that, if we can reduce the civil rights movement to a few specific people, right? Um, it it somehow, I don't know, minimizes the actual movement.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, um, you, it's not as many people. You know what I mean? It's just like and. I don't know. And the other part of it, I don't know. I mean, we just we like to reduce things down. I mean, and sometimes it's it's absurdly reduced. And the movement for sure is is that way. It's just it was you would think the movement was nothing but King, you know what I mean, uh, Dr. King. and I mean, look, I give him all the credit in the world for what he did, but I think he, he would be the first to agree with that that, you know, Look, it wasn't, it's not just me, you know, it's housewives and, I mean, you think of everybody who took part in that movement, um, no matter how small. In fact, I feel strongly about this. I still haven't been able to convince the museum of this, but I hope to convince them eventually, is that uh, I think the, of course I'm partial to the Civil Rights Museum here in Mississippi, because that's kind of what I've written about. But I think regardless of where, any of these museums should do the same thing, which is they should have a monument. And it doesn't have to be exactly like Vietnam Memorial, but that's what comes to mind for me. And essentially would be nothing but names. And it would be the names of everybody that took part in the Civil Rights Movement, no matter how small. So you'd have everybody from whoever cooked for the Freedom Riders, you know, to Bob Dylan, <laughs> to, you know, Sydney portier you know, Harry Belafonte, you know, I mean, all these people known and unknown, you know, um, yeah, E.W. Steptoe, most people are not going to know Steptoe. I mean, they're, and he was one of those courageous guys in the civil rights movement in Mississippi. So there's a lot of, you know, Bob Moses, who for whatever reason, has never, in my opinion, truly gotten his due. He's one of my heroes. Uh his courage, his humility, just incredible guy uh, in the civil rights movement. Fannie Lou Hamer, who's finally starting to get her due. Um Ella Baker, um, you know, just just so many, so many um uh, incredibly courageous people uh that really um deserve you know deserve to be recognized and credited and that's the way i think of it. i,
0: I agree and, and everybody's name should be the same size whether it's bob exactly. or, no, or it was steptoe
1: also, yeah like i said it's like a vietnam memorial where if you've been to it it's just it's just names it's just names it's all it is who who is steptoe uh, he was uh, uh he was down in southwest mississippi and he would he was one of the early people that bob moses registered to vote just a gutsy guy i mean you gotta remember i mean if you're down in southwest mississippi this is like clan central you know what i mean so if you registered to vote in those days you are literally taking your life in your hands i mean and that's what happened in mississippi you know reverend george lee uh, in '55, in Belzona, decided to start registering people to vote. You know, this is after Brown versus Board of Education got shot in the face and killed. You know, with a shotgun. Never pro- You know, and then a few months after that, Lamar Smith in Brookhaven, Mississippi. He was involved in trying to register black voters. He got shot on the on the courthouse lawn, the lawn of the courthouse, with all these people witnessing it. And no, nobody ever prosecuted. So, I mean, so you got to talk about, talk about courage. Gus Fortz, who got shot that same year um, and then fled to Chicago, he managed to survive. I mean, you know, I mean, in 55, a lot of people moved from Mississippi to like Chicago or elsewhere because of the violence. Charles Evers, I mean, there were there were lots of, and now Charles said he didn't move because of the violence. But anyway, but it was because of his civil rights activities that he ended up leaving. So, right. Anyway.
0: It's so. There's so much awfulness in all yeah. of it, Jerry. And I remember, I can't remember when I learned this, but um, uh, um, Cheney's mother after I think he was 21 years old when he was murdered, um, Cheney's mother had to move out of Mississippi and because it, after her son was murdered by white rip. terrorists, American terrorists, homegrown terrorists, exactly. it wasn't enough that exactly. her son had been murdered. It's that they had to keep terrorizing her family and calling in the middle of the night and threats and so forth. Exactly. It, it's, it's just so many levels of awfulness.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and you know, and then you had the the Klan, I mean, the police force in Meridian, Mississippi. And I've talked to look, I know some of the guys that were on the police force back then, a lot of them are dead now, but the um that one of them told me in those days you didn't talk to your partner because you knew he was either in the Klan or working for the FBI <laughs> <laughs> so i thought well okay yeah wow. so it's it, more than half the police force in meridian mississippi were probably in the Klan, and it was where a gray killing who eventually was convicted in that case uh the mississippi burning case um change the case you know came to recruit you know i've i've talked to someone who saw him come around all the time you know
0: One of the things that I appreciate about your daily Facebook posts is it's not just, Hey, um, Martin Luther King gave this speech on this day or, you know, this positive event regarding the civil rights movement happened on this day. A lot of it is, you know, Reverend Lee got shot on this day. This this ordinary, again, ordinary people, um, this, this, normal person was murdered on this day, was tortured on this day, exactly. Was kidnapped on this day. And it's it because obviously, you know, a lot of Mississippians, a lot of white Mississippians. And to some extent, I always feel it's like, hey, I want you to look at this, like, it, it's day after day of this 365 days of the year, there's a memorial yeah. to something.
1: Yeah, yeah, way I, I kind of view it. It's, it's that you you don't forget this. I mean, I think that I never learned any of this in school and none of it. I mean, you know, when I went to school, it was, I had a teacher who said, uh, well, we would have won the civil war if we'd just done this. <laughs> it, it was like, we should have won, you know? And, uh, yeah, that was kind of the mentality my teacher had about the civil war. And, and, uh, you know about how horrible Reconstruction was. It was like, oh, those awful carpetbaggers, Yankees carpetbaggers. You know, you yeah, Anyway, it was a, uh, you know, wild. Anyway, that was just. They uh, that's it's fascinating, it's fascinating, and I didn't like again. I had no idea about a lot of the story of the history of Reconstruction, any of these other things that took place no idea about the violence that's the other thing and i've gotten a, a lot of emails from people who've read the book and my book is not meant to be any kind of comprehensive history but hopefully with some brush strokes gives people you know an idea more about this history and certainly can hopefully drive them deeper into learning more about this but um I remember one woman wrote me she was 66 year old from georgia and she said white woman And she said, "I'm ashamed that I never did this history," and and we, I I had no idea like the violence of the massacres and Meridian and Vicksburg and I mean I had no idea all these massacres that took place just because uh, Black Americans wanted to vote. I mean it's just we and again you know it just you know now you. If you understand your history, you kind of understand your present a little bit better, you know. It's it's just people don't understand the context of a lot of these things. So then, all of a sudden, if you start talking about, well, we did, we just, I'm not sure that we like this voting thing so much. <laughs> we like it when I we get like voting, to do it. Used to like voting, but now uh, maybe not so much,
0: you know. <laughs> Some somebody put about the new Georgia law that you can't give water to people waiting. Yeah, to vote. I was
1: like, really?
0: I'm and so, like, and, and some, somebody somebody put, Yeah, you can't give water unless it's a fire hose, then it's okay. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: right. yeah. And then it's okay if we go back to the fire hose. Right.
0: Yeah. Speaking of reconstruction, um, two former professors of mine, mentors of mine, sent me maybe a year or two ago, they sent me the, the revised Mississippi State Constitution that was created as part of reconstruction and it is it is a um progressive almost radical document that guaranteed public education through university for all citizens of mississippi and and you know you just look at it and again past present where we're going future and it's like it was all right here this we we could have not solve this, but we could have made so much progress based on this document from more than a hundred years ago that everybody agreed to and was put into
1: law. Well, the 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 reason that Mississippi was accepted back into the union was because of that document. Hmm. And now there's actually a lawsuit involving this document. I didn't know if you, do you know about this? You know about the lawsuit? Yeah, yeah,
0: it, it was Bill and Rita who, who sent me the, yeah. the document originally, yeah.
1: Um, So uh, yeah, it's fascinating. It is fascinating, but but there are a lot of people that died, like the people who served on that Constitution, that Reconstruction Constitutional Convention, were assassinated. More than a few were assassinated because they dared to pen that document. Isn't that that's just frightening, isn't it?
0: and, and, And going back to what you were saying, it's about people voting and children going to school. You know, two of the most, uh, I don't know, two of the most benign things there are out there. Exactly. There's so much
1: horror and terrorism and violence around. Yeah, and I did a piece, I did a piece uh, because I never, I couldn't find a figure for it. So I I decided to try and, and I got some help from someone that knew where to get the figures. But I was really curious how much were black schools underfunded? Like if you're talking about during the days when they were all white, all black, how much were those black schools underfunded compared to the white schools? And so I had someone who helped me get the There's that they, they publish every year, you know, this is how much we spend on white students, this is how much we spend on black students and they were markedly different. And so I uh, did the math on it and converted into, you know, modern dollars, 25 billion, B, billion dollars between 1890 and 1960. 25 billion than, dollars. And yeah, yeah, that's more than a little bit, huh? And it makes me wonder, well, wait a minute, if Mississippi's 25 billion, how much is that you know over the nation you know what i mean like how much are we talking about you know money-wise i mean i think that's one of the things that um you know people don't think about i mean you i mean uh miss has in one of the photo collections uh which was done the photos were done at the time it's really fascinating you probably know what i'm talking about but they have pictures of the white schools and the black schools This is like 54-ish, somewhere in there. And so they, all of a sudden, Mississippi, you know, got religion when when the U.S. Supreme Court was like, this is, you know, it's separate, but it's not equal. Mississippi's like, oh, 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 we can make it equal. (laughs) And so they went around and took pictures. And it's like, the pictures of the white schools compared to the black schools the black schools are like a little shack like a wooden stove and i mean it's like the stereotype you'd think of and it was exactly it i mean like ever i I couldn't believe how many of the black schools that's exactly what they look like there were no there was no brick there was no i mean you can imagine the winter what that was like and oh man you know and then the white school brand new brick and playground and yeah and, and
0: and for the listeners who are you know shaking their heads at at how terrible that is which of course is terrible public schools today are funded based on property values exactly. meaning they're funded based on the wealth of the community so it's still separate right. but equal
1: it's it's a, it's a great point, which means that the wealthy communities get good schools, and the, in general, the wealthy communities certainly can afford good schools, and in uh, the poor communities can't. Yeah. Do you ever break down in
0: frustration, anger, sadness about all this?
1: I, I you know, I, I think it goes from my mom and dad. I just kind of perennially. I, I, you know, I guess I think of myself as a realist, but I, you know, I, I, but I always have hope that things can change, That things that there are good people. And I believe that, um, I certainly believe this, that I think when people really understand the truth, I mean, sometimes I think it's a lot of, you know, politicians or others blowing smoke and people can't realize, I, I give an simple example, one we're writing about right now, which is a good question. And I'm not pretending names for the question, but it's healthcare access in Mississippi. Mississippi has a tremendous number of problems because of lack of healthcare access. And there really hasn't been an alternative put up other than expanding Medicaid, which Mississippi is one of 12 states that hasn't done that. And so it, it's an interesting discussion. And um you know and so what do they say well we can't afford it or we can't do this or we can't do that and and you what you want to try to do is get beyond the the obvious argument like okay what are the numbers what can we show and so you know you're talking about rural hospitals are closing mississippi two-thirds of the rural hospitals in mississippi right now are losing money losing money and so there's no way these rural hospitals are going to stay open, or even if they do manage to stay open, they're going to really be able to do what they need to be doing for the community. I think about if they did have money, what they could maybe do for their communities, you know, these poor communities, impoverished communities that that maybe need screenings, you know, maybe they could go around and and, and be an outreach and say, hey, we're going to start doing screenings for diabetes and things like that, you know. Which desperately needs to be done, as you all well know, in places like the Delta and elsewhere. I mean, that's one of the main problems. Diabetes is just devastating to these these communities, and uh, and it's kind of like, eh. yeah, <laughs> and yeah. it's it's not like you're getting out of paying for it. It's not you're you're going to cost yourself more in the long run because you don't catch diabetes, and then and then you got insulin, which some people can't afford. You know, they don't qualify for Medicaid. Medicaid rules in Mississippi are pretty straight and so you don't qualify for Medicaid. Being poor doesn't qualify you for Medicaid. So that that, wow. that you, can wow. be, you can be poor, you can be poor Mississippi, and not qualify for Medicaid. Your it doesn't matter. Your income has it, it plays a role, but your income alone, you know, right is I, not.
0: Not a I remember once the first time I did this, it blew my mind taking a map of Mississippi, um county by county, maybe even school district by school district, and then overlaying it with the school districts that when integration happened, which was I think 1970, Christmas
1: 1970 or
0: 71. Yeah, that's it. Um, I remember it. What's that? I remember it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um Although you grew up in Texas, I thought.
1: Yeah, I grew up in East Texas, but uh, we—that's when we integrated. I mean, uh, same time, yeah. There there were um, in Mississippi, unfortunately, some of the some of them kept fighting past Christmas of seventy. I mean, there was a bunch of lawsuits like that, but you, we did. That was when they shut in my hometown, Texas, Canada. Yeah, lived just north of town, and and they shut down the. Essentially, shut down, which was sad for the, the black community. Shut down the black school, essentially what had been the black school, and then they came and, and joined us right. at Pleasant. It, it was called Pleasant Grove. Yeah. So
0: anyway, but so so to your point about diabetes, so I take a map of district by district or county by county away in Mississippi, you overlay it with the school districts that actually integrated in 19, 15 years after Brown was the Board of Education. And then you overlay that with the school districts that have the highest test scores. And then you overlay that with the counties that have the highest um, per income average. Right. And the schools in the counties and the districts that integrated have the best educational outcomes, the best financial outcomes, really? the best health outcomes. Yes. So it means places right. like Oxford and, you know. Yeah, right. This is integrated. And, and I put integration in quotes, but but that yeah, no that sure. you know made us. all
1: integrated. My but, integrated, and and it was rough, but it did. And so
0: are... so the point is not only morally, from a human perspective, is this the right thing to do, but just from a cold-hearted business perspective, right? It's the right thing to do. Yeah, and we're still too stupid to do it
1: yeah we, we still we still we still fight these things it's it's very yeah. fascinating. well what's happened unfortunately is you know it's it seems unfortunately that there becomes this idea whether people think about it consciously or subconsciously that they believe something is benefiting uh, black mississippians so they come to believe like Medicaid. Oh, well, that's benefiting. Even though they're more white recipients <laughs> of Medicaid than there are black, they still believe this is going, this, this is just helping out those black folks. I mean, this is what people say privately. They're never going to say this publicly anymore. But that's my perception. I, I think I'm right about this because I've heard people talk about it. And then and now, unfortunately, I think public schools have become that. Or is it, it's it's now the perception is even though there are more white kids than black kids in the public schools in Mississippi, it's somehow come around to, oh well, you're just helping out a bunch of black kids or you know, helping out the black folks, you know, and there's that mentality that's still clinging on, which is unfortunate. I'm not saying by everybody, but by some for sure. Um that mentality either consciously or subconsciously is is going on because all of a sudden it's like everybody used to be for public schools in mississippi you know and there used to be it used to be no matter which party you were with funding public schools was like a great idea um i you know i did, I did notice their teacher raises now or i guess back in vogue that, that both parties seem to be backing that now but We'll see what happens in the future uh, with that.
0: What do you think is going to happen in the future? what What's the What's the end game for all of this?
1: Well, I, I hope that we can, uh, and why? Why we started the Mississippi Center for Investigative Reporting is to try to provide investigative reporting people need this information. People need to make decisions, informed decisions, not necessarily what. The powers that be are telling them, or the politicians are telling them, what's the reality of it, and so that's why we formed what we formed, and we literally give our content away for free. So the idea is, there are newspapers all across Mississippi. We more than a hundred. We give them our material, our stories, our photos, all that for free. Here you go. You can publish it in your publication. And so most of the major newspapers in mississippi are using our content so that's the idea is we just want to get uh, let people know i mean just simple little things that maybe people don't think about because i know policing for example is something that's on people's minds um really interesting to me is in 1995 the Justice Department and the International Chiefs of Police sent out a memo that said, if you arrest somebody, talk about not listening to them, you know, or not paying attention to a memo. If you arrest someone and you handcuff them from behind, right, you don't lay them on their stomach and leave them there. That, that By itself, I'm not talking about anything else. Just that. You you you're supposed to roll them on their side or their stomach or whatever you do, because it affects your ability. Just to, just that alone affects your ability to breathe, and then if you add weight to the back, you affect the breathing even more. And and so all this is in this memo that was came out in 1995 it has been for whatever reason ignored not taught or even if it's taught it's not followed you know like local police departments sheriff's departments for whatever reason they're not they're not following it they're not teaching it you know what all is happening with this because it's been a continued practice and so i got a video the other day and published it this guy's name was Robert Loggins and he was arrested in 2018 and in the Grenada in Grenada, Mississippi, brought into jail, and they needed to change out the handcuffs. They had their arresting officer put his handcuffs back. They hop on that, like literally, like I don't know how many people hop on him. And the arresting officer looks like he's on his neck, uh, best I can tell. And they're on him for three and a half minutes. They get up. The guy never moves again. The guy never moves again. And and if you really think about it, it's like actually this makes sense because I remember I, I was I was a pretty small kid on the playground. I remember one time I had this big kid jump on me, you know, like like I was on the ground and like jumped on me. And I remember it just completely knocked the breath out of me. I couldn't breathe. And it's like you think about how many people getting on top of you, what it's going to do to your ability to breathe. I mean, it's just common sense, but but it's like what happens, unfortunately, is, and this relates directly to the civil rights movement as well. It, the, the, what happens is we we begin to dehumanize people, and so uh, the people that we fear, we dehumanize, uh, or we don't like, we may dehumanize. I mean, they they th- you know the mentality can easily arise within the police community, and I totally understand. I've got some very good friends who. Exactly. that um you know you're uh, you're the good guys they're the bad guys and so they bring this guy in and and, and it's just the dehumanization of it you know they they don't even pull his pants up like his pants are at his ankles you know and they literally this guy lays there for I don't know, seven minutes or more before they ever, I mean, the guy doesn't move. In fact, they try to move him and he's like dead weight. It's like, wh- wh- isn't that a big tip off? Maybe you want to check this guy? I mean, and they finally check his pulse. No pulse, no breathing. And it's just like, we keep doing the same things over and over again. And, and, and we're just don't learn. And and that's I think what, what I view our job is important. We're trying to help people. We want to change these things for the better. We want to look. Let's provide the training. This doesn't need to happen again. People need to have the training. We showed that video to Dr. Michael Bodden, who, by the way, did Megarever's second autopsy, and he um, said, "Look, this is a homicide. You know, these guys he died of asphyxia, and the and the and the original pathologist." best I can tell, never saw this video, never saw this video. So they blamed it on drugs. <laughs> so, right. Where, where have we heard that one before? Yeah, uh, yeah. Heard that one anywhere. before. So anyway,
0: so which that, that kind of takes me to the to the private prison industry, which was the fastest yeah. growing industry, I think, during the Trump administration. It was certainly after Trump was elected. It, it was the one industry that saw the greatest rise in their stock prices. Because pri- the private prison industry is a for-profit industry. It is, yeah. Um, and, and the way that I've sort of have a half-formed thought about it is, slavery was built on the exploitation of black bodies, and right. the private prison industry that exists today, or the prison industry in general, is is built on largely. incarcerating largely, uh, largely incarcerating
1: black bodies. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, you know, and and we just ran a story. The Marshall Project did a story um, about what they were doing. They had these, quote unquote, ghost workers. Don't you love it? So they claimed like they were pretending like they had all these people actually working at the prison and they really weren't working at the prison. Yeah, it's it's on our website. You can go look under our prison section. You'll find the story that Joe Neff and and others at the Marshall Project did, but it's an excellent story, and it's all about that very point that, in other words, like and see, they're supposed to maintain under their DANE contracts certain staff levels, and they're not doing it, and 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 so they're actually, the state of Mississippi it's supposed to be for what they would call clawing back this money like like if they're not keeping the staff that they're supposed to keep the state of mississippi is supposed to be clawing back this money and um uh, up until the current administration they weren't doing any of that like they weren't they weren't they basically weren't enforcing the contracts they were just letting people you know, do what they did and this current administration now is beginning to claw back some of that
0: right and and in addition to the
1: and so they made all that money if you want to think about it from a profit perspective they pocketed all that money i mean staffing is obviously your biggest expense you know, right. in know any, any business yeah so they pocketed yeah. all that money you know they didn't have the staff they were supposed to have and I, i've heard story after story you know of like you know guards not being in towers you know so i, I mean just different things and Wilkerson and that which is where the where the this one mainly focused the MTC has more than just Wilkerson but um, Wilkerson which I wrote about quite a bit back in 2014 um, just incredible problems I mean killings and you know all, all sorts of issues there I mean I'm convinced in that one killing that the guard opened the the door for the guy to be for them to for the inmates to kill them essentially. And they did.
0: Yeah, so it's 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 in addition to the physical violence, the sexual violence, the the um, just total lack of care for mm-hmm. um, people that are that are supposedly in your care. It's there's this whole, you know, in, in addition, addition to the industry exploiting mm-hmm. prisoners for money. And having ghost workers, there's a whole underground economy in the prison system amongst the guards and the inmates. Oh, the oh guards yeah, guards are profiting
1: off of all of this. I, I, had, to, I had a guy in Wilkerson, Wilkerson, Wilkerson tell me, um, because I, I interviewed inmates by their cell phones, so like, right? Right, it was, you know, so one thing I have to say is the cell phone has actually made it possible to do some reporting you wouldn't have ever been able to do before because of video and phone calls and all those things that you wouldn't have normally been able to have access to. But um, I remember interviewing one guy there, a gang guy, and he's like, oh yeah, it's, easier. it's easy to corrupt a guard. I said, really? He goes, yeah. I just walk up to him and they're largely female by the way. Um, so I'd walk up and say, hey, little lady, how'd you like to make a thousand dollars? Right. And and see tobacco up until recently, just now they've changed it back. Up until recently, uh, uh, tobacco was banned, and so it became number one contraband. You know, and so you could turn just like uh, you know, I don't, I can't remember now what the price of a, a pound of tobacco is on the outside. What fifteen dollars? I think I, I think something like that. I I may be off a little bit on that figure, but you could turn that in. You can turn that into ten thousand dollars inside prison. So, uh, you know the gangs love that,
0: right? Right. It's it's just the um, it's the form of credit or whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and they've got Cash App, they got the you know they got the green dots and you, you name it. They they you know it's all going on. I mean, people have no idea. Yeah. I just have no idea what, it's just, I, I feel like I'm just reporting like that much of it, you know, a little tiny bit of it yeah. and that, you know, that I can find out and, and it's just incredible. I remember one night I actually got invited to and was on a game conference call. Seriously. I was wow. on a game conference call. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're talking to me openly. It was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What were so, they talking about? Well, to their credit, they were kind of talking about, you know, how they wanted to improve education and made and different things. So it wasn't like a negative call at all. It wasn't like, hey, you know, let's tell you about our secret plans of carrying out violence or something like that. Not at all. It was the opposite. It was like, we want to improve education. And I think you can begin to work with, I think the current administration has more of this mindset it, instead of trying to um you turn them from from for lack of a term turn them from evil to good (laughs) you know it's like you're you're not necessarily going to break up the the group it's not so your goal is to break up the group your goal is to move them from evil to good (laughs) if that makes any sense um because i think the gangs will exist in prison i just think there's that identity thing that happens inside behind bars Uh, that probably is, you know, the means by which you can do that. But if you can move them from, for lack of a term, of evil purposes to good purposes. And they're looking at doing a lot more uh, things on the inside, which they should have been doing. And they agreed to do. Mississippi, Mississippi agreed. That was part of what this reform was back in 2014. They were like, oh, we're going to provide all this training and all this other kind of stuff for inmates. And they didn't. The state did not give a penny, a penny to it. Like they literally didn't, they, they promised to do all this stuff and they didn't do any of what they promised. They were too
0: too busy paying Brett Favre to give non-existent. They were
1: were, in the middle of like the corporate tax cuts. They said, oh, the corporate taxes in Mississippi are too high. We have to get rid of them. And then they're like, and now the latest one is, oh, oh, the income tax. It's so unbearable. We have it's like Mississippi is it's this is what it reminds me of. It's like a guy that's not making enough money, okay, to pay his bills, and goes, you know, I think I'll work part-time. <laughs> that's what it reminds me of. You know, it's like, you know, what are you thinking? I mean, you're 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 barely getting by. It's like, look, if your desire is to get rid of the corporate tax fine and dandy, but figure out how to do that before you do it, like figure out how to have the income, you know, from an income perspective, figure out how you can have that income. Or if you want to cut fine, you know, figure out those cuts before you just start chopping. I mean, it just makes no sense at all. Like I said, nobody would, nobody would ever do that in life and think that's logical. It's, it's voodoo
0: economics. Rising tide lifts all yachts, don't you know, Jerry?
1: Well, it, there's this wonderful—I I don't understand the mentality. It's like if we cut, if we just keep cutting our revenue, we're going to somehow increase it. And that's—you know—that was that was very prevalent in the late '70s. You know, uh, the laffer, the believer, the laffer curve, laffer yeah. curve. I'll never forget this. I was a student in college at that moment in time. And my professor, you know, showed the Laffer curve, and and he says, now, see, if you cut taxes, you're on the upper side of this curve, and if you cut taxes, you actually increase revenue. And me being the smart aleck kid in the class, of course, was like, wait a minute. What if you're on the lower side of that curve? You know, and and I, you know, I guess the professor had never really thought of that. You know, so uh, he was like, "Well, that would be disastrous." And I was, and that, and that was exactly what happened. Right? We had this horrible recession after that. Didn't
0: Kansas do that about five, ten oh, yeah. years ago Kansas, under Brownback?
1: Kansas, Kansas has had all sorts of problems. From crater, they just cratered their, uh, you know, the state their state income. economy. Yeah and that's exactly what happened because what people don't realize that's what i'm saying it has to be thought out this willy-nilly just kind of cutting makes no sense If, if that's your desire fine but do it do it smartly and do it logically um and 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 thought out and planned out but when you do it the other way you you crater your economy because people work for the state. I mean, it's not like they, these people it's contributing to the economy. It's not like this money is not doing something. It it you know, you're providing employment, you know, all these other things that you don't think about and people are, you know, they're good tax paying citizens and kids are going to schools and all this thing it's it's a good thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing. And and so people if you're going to do it, yeah, Okay, fine. If that's your goal, fine. But you better be smart about it because otherwise you're going to crater your economy. And that's what Kansas found out.
0: Yeah. And unless you're wealthy, unless you're part of the investor class, somebody receiving a paycheck, like you said, that money just goes right back into the economy, into the local economy.
1: It's one so it, thing. It, it, it's not like it. it, it Yeah, you know, it's not like it's wasted money. It, it's going into the economy and serving a purpose. And so, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm not trying to tell a politician what to do one whatsoever. But you, what if you're going to do that, you can't do it willy nilly. You've got to approach it in a smart way rather than just. Oh yeah, we we just we just want to and I think the general idea behind a lot of this in my opinion is to shrink state government. The idea is we're just going to shrink the government and that's kind of the mentality of that. But the problem in places like let's say Mississippi is the one that I know the best is because you have such an impoverished state, you need that state you need for the state agencies to operate at a high level. A lot of times let's say the health department, for example which they have cut tremendously, you need them. I mean, here you are, you, you've you absolutely cut the health department over and over again and we have a pandemic, you know what I mean? I mean, it just blows my mind. If ever we needed a health department it's right now and, and, and obviously, uh, anyway. It's, so, it's, like, it's like you so, said,
0: you, you, you can pay now, or you can pay later. And the bill exactly. later is going to be a lot
1: higher. Well, you know, you're talking about like diabetes and stuff like that. There's no comparison. I mean, you treat my diabetes now compared to what you're going to think of what taxpayers are going to be paying for somebody to have dialysis. And, and, and look, we're going to be paying it one way or the other, either Either you're thinking, well, well, wait a minute, we don't want to expand Medicaid. You're still going to pay for it. If you go to the hospital, the hospital's having to absorb all this. You have to pay for it. You know, and that that's that's the thing. If you don't pay for it over over here, you're going to, have to pay for it over here. It's not like you get out of paying for it. Uh, that's what people don't realize. And think how much money dialysis cost compared to how much money would you could you you would pay just you know to keep somebody from let's say you catch catch it early you catch diabetes early i mean you know and you and you prevent them from becoming diabetic that saves tremendous amount of money i mean you're talking you're talking potentially billions of dollars you can save by doing something like that
0: yeah and it's again kind of going back to the point about school integration not only is this the correct thing to do morally if you're a christian is this the correct thing to do from a christian framework um just from a human being empathetic framework it's also financially cold hard business wise
1: it's like in a business i mean you know in a on a business side you make decisions sometimes you realize hey we need to Let's say I'll do a simple one. Insurance. We're gonna we're gonna spend a little extra money so we have insurance here, so that you know, just in case the business burns down or you know whatever the situation is. Yeah, we're willing to spend some money now to save us some money later, and that's, that's the idea. Uh, I right. mean, I think that's clear. Otherwise, you have these catastrophic costs that hit you later on and uh, I, you know, I think things like diabetes are a real crisis here in Mississippi. I mean, it's, and it crosses, it's look, white and black, everyone, uh, everyone is affected, uh, whatever color in Mississippi, affected by uh, diabetes. You know, we know people are in families. I mean, my own grandfather was diabetic. I mean, we all know people that have had, uh, my dad has low blood sugar and you know, so he has some issues so i mean there are all these things and as southerners we we like to eat what we like to eat you know but it's not the best <laughs> it's not the health That
0: sweet tea it's yeah,
1: something else yeah stuff you know so we we uh we pay the price uh, with, our, with our blood sugar and, and uh, to, you know to your point
0: jerry Getting, and of course, I'd taught in the Delta, um, getting high quality, healthy food um, to everyday Mississippians is a challenge. Yes. And at the same time, the Mississippi Delta is the most fertile land on the planet.
1: It's the, it's the cruel irony, isn't it? Isn't it? It's the most, it's some of the most fertile land in the entire world. And 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 yet if you go into parts of the Delta, good luck finding a grocery store, right?
0: Right. Good luck finding a vegetable stand or a farm. That's for I me. Mean, any of those. Whatever. Things. Yeah. Well, look, let me let me get you out. One last question. All easy right. easy question, fun question for you. What is your favorite meal in Jackson, Mississippi? Oh wow, they'll kill me if I pick, <laughs> I pick one <laughs> of won't be able to show. What's one of them? How about that?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's see. I'm, I'm trying to think. Um, I should, I should, I should. Uh, well, uh, I'll, I'll try to pick several, and that way I can, I can, I can, I can, they'll like me. Show your face. Uh, yeah. yeah, I love, I love, uh, like, Helen Mal's, you know, has, like, great red beans and rice. And I love the comeback dressing. And for those who've never been to Jackson, it's like a specifically Jackson thing called comeback dressing. Um, and then uh, I love, uh, uh, you know, I, I just had tamales the other day from the Red Apple Inn. I guess say those are like the best tamales I think I've ever had. I don't know if you have not had tamales from the Red Apple Inn. You I, check I, I
0: have had pig ear.
1: I yeah. had a pig ear
0: sandwich what, from the yeah, Red Apple Inn. What do you think of
1: it, the pig ear sandwich?
0: It's the only pig ear sandwich I've, I've ever had. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the, the tamales. Sense. I have to tell you, the tamales are excellent. They're excellent. And then one of my my favorite places to eat, and I have to confess, I will I will give him this credit, is Monty's. And mm, Monty, I don't know uh, it. It, Well, he's in although he he's uh, in Byron, but I think he's going to have a new location out the reservoir as well i think i saw that they were doing something out there so um but monty's is like kind of cajun food the, the thing i love there oh, i love a lot of stuff there crawfish fettuccine oh man it's just wow you know, yeah and then you know you've got so many great places walkers drive in mm-hmm. you know you've got bravos you've got um i just had something the other day it's i had uh I ate the other day at salmukis I'm, I'm you know char is a great place to eat uh uh there's so many great places to eat in jackson it is it's hard to it's hard to hard to restrict my list <laughs> oh uh a uh, vietnamese I, I i gotta be honest with two huh. vietnamese places that i've ever eaten are in the jackson metro area uh, one is uh anyway Saigon Grill and, and Well Saigon Restaurant and then Little Saigon and they're both excellent and uh the pho at, at the Saigon restaurant is just incredible. I love that. Nice. And the yeah, and then and then and then the uh, spring rolls at uh Little Saigon, you know, just fantastic. I, you know, it's little vietnamese lady in back making them by hand you know it's just like you you go if you go and you don't order in advance you have to wait you know a good 20 minutes before you get it but you know what it is that good it is worth waiting for so i don't know that's that that's probably good good enough good right. stuff so, look you can throw a rock <laughs> i hate i hate peaches I, I at least in i used to love to go eat peaches once in a while and uh I'm not I'm not downtown as much anymore. So uh, that's a that's the best fried chicken. Hmm. I'm in Peggy's, Peggy's, which is unfortunately closed now, which is oh, in Philadelphia. Shame. Were the two? Those were the two best fried chicken places in Mississippi.
0: Nice. Well, Jerry, thank you so much for your yeah. time, for your work, for your
1: friendship. This has been great. Nice. Yeah, this um, has been, great. It's
0: been tell, great. Tell everybody where they can find your work, please.
1: Yeah, I go to Mississippi. Cir.org. That's Mississippi um, Center for Investigative Reporting. And, and uh, that's our website, and you can keep track of that. Uh, if you're interested in the book that we mentioned, uh, you can go online and order it. Uh, if you order it from Lemuria Books or Square Books in Oxford, uh, they have signed copies. So if that appeals to you, just go online, just Google it, and they've got the website, and you can order it, and they have signed copies as well. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's and,
0: it. and Jerry's, the website he mentioned, his project, Mississippi Center for Investigative Reporting, has some of the stories that we just talked about today. Yeah, so there are, are articles referencing that.
1: Yeah, the $25 billion I mentioned, the one about the video. We, we published that video of the guy that was killed in jail. And, and anyway other things that we're doing prison stuff that we've done that now the justice department's investigating um the prison system in mississippi as a result of those stories so you know we'll we'll see what we'll see what happens next but uh
0: but thanks thanks for having me ben i appreciate it and and get jerry's book race against time yeah yeah and you'll thank me that's that's only half as long (laughs) perfect Jerry thank you so much thanks my conversation with Jerry Mitchell you can find all of my work at benbow.substack.com that's benbow.substack.com have a great day